This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland, co-founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. And I've got Dr. John Deloney with me. John, how you doing, man? What's up, Brett? How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. You're in Nash Vegas, right? You're in Nashville. Yes. I'm here just outside of St. Louis. We're going to have a great talk today. Are you so, a Cardinals fan? I mean, oh, I guess my hat's over there. I'm a massive Cardinal fan. Are you a, are you a Cardinal fan? No, I'm an Astros fan, man. I should have asked you that before we... I yeah, we might have to end podcast. the show. Yeah. To end it's been the- fun. I want to appreciate your time. Yeah, exactly. And that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Dr. Uh, <laughs> no, man, the Cardinals ruined my childhood a few years, man. We thought we we're gonna have the team, and they did. They did. Pretty loaded up there as a kid. Yeah, Pujols. I don't know how old you are, but Pujols. Uh, that home run off Brad Lidge is. Hey, still, it still hasn't still landed fly. yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's that we had a good run with you guys, though. What was that? Oh, oh three, maybe oh four, oh five. Yeah, those were fun. Uh, that's yeah. the quietest I've ever heard. Anything in my life was that stadium. Yeah, that was insane. I think that Absolutely hit ruined insane. Brad Lidge. It ruined, it ruined the city. So thanks, Albert. Thanks, Brett. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome, man. Well, uh, so is that where obviously you grew up then in Houston, Texas? Yeah, I'm a Houston kid, born and raised. And I had to take a year off last year because my boys were doing some cheating. We had to take a year <laughs> off and That's right. now, we're all, now we're all back. That's right. That's good. That's good. Yeah, that was, that was a tough back, year right? for you guys. That was a tough <laughs> year. Well, right. You are a mental health expert. You have two PhDs, not one, but two PhDs uh, in counselor education and supervision and then higher education administration from Texas Tech. Uh, you were part of Ramsey Solutions, so Dave Ramsey Solutions uh, in 2020s when you started there. You worked as a senior leader professor and researcher at multiple universities. And uh, you are with us today, man. So thanks for your time. You can see your book right there behind you. You can see it behind me as well. (laughs) We got it everywhere. Hovering over me. Just, it's so pretentious. It's all. It's it's great. You got to advertise the book, man. So anyway, I always start with what made you the man you are today. Obviously, man, you you valued education. You had a vision, you had a future probably. And uh, and now here you are. So uh, talk to us a little bit about Dr. John. Man, that's a great question. What made me the man I am today? I think I'm, man, that's a great question. 50 (laughs) different things come to mind. First of all, I think it's important to note, I think I'm still becoming, right? So I think I I like to look at that, think of that question of who laid out the paths that I'm walking on, who helped build the roads that are, have paved the way for me to walk and who gave me the tools that when I have to head off on my own into the woods or what I think is the, my own that taught me how to, you know, cut my way through the jungle. And so if I had to look back, I would think I've, I have 
two extraordinary parents. My dad was a homicide detective and a SWAT hostage negotiator who is obviously an important force in my life. And then about halfway through my childhood, he quit literally over a weekend and became a youth minister at a giant church. And so he's a good man of faith and I've got great grandparents of faith. And um, so my faith journey has been important to me. And then my mom was her, um, the culture that she grew up in, she wasn't allowed to go to school, to higher ed. Um, women didn't have a role in colleges. They had a role at home and that's where they needed to be. And so at age 42, she took her first community college class. And then she took another class the next semester, another class the next semester. And ultimately at 57, graduated with her PhD. And then she became a professor. And then at age 70, she's 70. She just retired from being the department chair at some fancy university as an English professor. So she, how cool is that? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's remarkable. My wife is, was the other Dr. Deloney before me. And so she graduated her PhD before me. She's a strong, powerful, brilliant woman. And then man, I, I just have been so fortunate to have mentors show up at just the right time. I've got some friends that I've been friends with since the day I was born that I'm still connected to. We still talk regularly. And so friendships and community and mentors and then my family and then faith. I think those have all made me the provided the roads I walk on today. I love it. I love it. So how did you get hooked up to uh, go from Houston to Nashville and, and leave the university scene and, and get with the Ramsey Solutions? So back in ooh, 2003, 2004, I'd graduated college and then I'd gone back to Houston. I was a high school teacher. I was a basketball coach and a track coach. Um, and then I ended up working at my alma mater as a student affairs guy and then made my way through higher education and got a master's degree and a PhD and thought I was all done and then really kind of experienced anxiety, experienced some mental health challenges that I didn't know existed. I didn't know what those were. So I transitioned from there back to Texas Tech to be the dean of students at the law school there. And I started taking one class after another class to nickel and dime my way I had no intention of getting another PhD. I just wanted to know what in the world happened to my head and what happened to the heads and hearts of my students, my community members. And then I took a job at Belmont University a few years later and here in Nashville and then ran into Dave Ramsey's executive VP. And then I'm starting this whole new adventure here. So it's just been one, follow your nose, do the next fun, right thing, work really hard. And who knows where you're going to end up, man. Yeah. So walk us through that journey. So you talked about, I had my own journey with anxiety and stress as well. And, and so, but walk us through that, if you don't mind, kind of being that transparent, vulnerable person that you are, what, what was that like? And what did you learn through that process? Well, I had some pretty, pretty robust goals for what success looked like. And it was X number of kids, X number of salary dollars, X number of positions at my university. And so I was hired really young as a, as a senior leader and so I was on a bullet train towards being a college president. That's what I was going to do. That, that was the only path I, I knew. Then the closer I got, the more exhausted I got. And the way I tried to solve that exhaustion was to blame people, was to try to work harder and just kill it and drag it, whatever you know the mm-hmm. mantra of the day was, and um, get another degree, get another this. That's probably my wife's fault. It's probably my, where I'm working. They just recognized me in the right way, right? So I, I just tried to solve my problem my internal challenges with achievement and working harder. And eventually my body just said, dude, we're out. And that's when started a a journey. What in the world is anxiety? And all it is, man, it's a signal. It's just an alarm letting you know you're disconnected from community, that you're in a situation where you're not safe. 
or you're uh, in a situation where you have little to no control over what tomorrow looks like. And what I try to do is in, instead of stopping and listening to those alarms, where am I disconnected? Where am I out of control? Where am I not safe? I spent a lot of energy trying to get the batteries out of the smoke detector because I thought that was the problem, right? And I got dangerously close to um, blowing it all up, man. And so I had to step back and say, we took a $70,000 household income pay cut, took a new job in a new town. And me and my wife, and we had a two-year-old at the time, we just hit pause. Like, what is happening? We had to rebuild our marriage from the floor up. We had to rebuild. I had to rebuild myself from the floor up. And that started with getting connected with friends and community and serving other folks. It just kind of John 2.0. What's this going to look like, man? It was a humbling moment. Yeah. And, and did that, how did that transform for you? The anxiety, was it like literally an anxiety attack, panic attack? Was it something you dealt with every single day, all day, every day? I mean, what, what was that like? It goes back to, I think, I, I remember being a kid who ran a lot. I was always pretty amped up, always pretty, uh, somebody called me a third rail growing up. I was always <laughs> the kid that came in and electrified the room. And I thought that was my life's role was to get everybody hyped up. Right. And ultimately I started sitting in meetings and I would think those guys are, they don't know. They don't know what's coming. Like they don't know the next worst thing. And I know the next worst thing. And I just need to tell everybody about this next worst thing. And then I started looking at my house. I would see, you know, settling cracks and I would think my house was coming apart. So basically it took normal facts, added a little bit of a, what I would call an internet twist to it. And then it just magnified everything. Yeah. And then my body was responding the way I explained it, it was like being betrayed by your own body. My body would respond as though somebody was chasing me with a hatchet and nothing was wrong. Nothing was happening. I remember my few anxiety triggers. I would see something and it, boom, it would set off. I would start laughing there. I was, I would speak out loud. There is nothing wrong, but my body was responding as though I was about to be in a fist fight. And so it was, it was this constant, just buzzing, this low level hum that never stopped. And then if I went down an internet rabbit hole or started talking about things I didn't know. Yeah. I could set it off pretty high and then I wouldn't sleep for a night. I'd be up roaming around and um, I'd get frustrated and angry and blah, blah, blah. But all I have to say is, yeah, it was a pretty, it was a, it was a consistent hum and with some higher level spikes here and there. And then after a while you get exhausted and you don't want to get out of bed for three or four days. And clinically we call that depression, right? And then you'd get just enough energy to hop out of bed and get that, spin that cycle back up again. Right. Wow. And, and so did you find that you've gotten yourself through that or, or is it something that still comes back and revisits every now and then and kind of knocks on you and says, Hey man, I'm, I'm back. What's up? I think I'm, I'm, I think everybody's wired differently. So that's where the genetics comes into play. I don't think anxiety is a genetic issue, but I think we all have, we all lean in certain directions. Right. And um, so I'm a person who feels pretty deeply. I'm a person who likes to, um, put together puzzle pieces and sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm way off what I, I, I can, I could go down a road that would, that would be like that. What I've done is create an ecosystem where I honor my body. So I exercise pretty regularly. Yep. I work out hard. I take care of my food. I take care of, I've got close friends that I trust. Ultimately I had a buddy drive a few hours to my house when I thought it was falling in on itself. And he looked at me and he said, John, your house is great. I don't want to hear about it again. You're nuts. Tough right? love. He, he was an accountant. And so he didn't know the right counseling words. But I remember thinking, because dude, I was having, I had contractors come out to look at my foundation and they'd say, Hey, your, your house is fine. It's, 
it's yeah. relatively new. They would leave, and my first thought was, those guys are crazy. They don't. Those guys don't know what the hell they're talking they, about. They know what they're talking about, right? Or you know, I'd read an internet article about some crazy something, and I would tell somebody in a in a meeting. And these are brilliant scholars. They got PhDs. They know what they're doing. They run multi million dollar organization, and they'd look at me and say, "Yeah, that's not right." And I would. My first thought was not, "Well, maybe it's the Yahoo on the internet was wrong." It was, "They don't know. They don't know." And so that's the that's the demon of anxiety, man. It makes you yeah. feel all alone. And ultimately, now I've set up a world where it's pretty hard to get me riled up. And so here I am 10 years later. I could say, I don't think you heal yourself from anxiety. Anxieties are, are alarms. It's not an issue. Like, I hope that I have a system that that lets me know if I'm in danger. So I don't want everyone to be healed from anxiety. But no, I don't spin out anymore. I'm relatively healthy. Yeah, I think that's a great way what you just said right there. It's, it's a it's a basically I look at it as an ally and be almost thankful that our senses are up so high. I had an event too one time. I'm, I do financial planning. I've been doing it for 20, 20 years almost. I was in just a normal meeting with a client and this rush just came through me and I thought I was having a heart attack. And it wasn't pain or anything, but and you, you're kind of smiling there so you might know what I'm talking about. That feeling oh, yeah. that just goes like it's like your head's going to blow off. Yeah. And, and then I just started my journey, right? So I had nerves my whole life and I had these anxiety and I just had to learn to make it my friend. And, and it, that's kind of an aha moment for me right there is almost look at it as be thankful that our senses can be up that much so that to look at it from an alert standpoint to know that something's going on and I need to put myself in a safe, safe environment. Well, and we, we have a, a really non-reflective ethos as a culture. Now, everything is everyone else's fault. Every, yep. Everything is something that someone else has done to us. And there is some truth to that, man. There's a lot of people who've been hurt and squashed. And I mean, that's all real. And we often like to use your your meeting as an example, it's real easy to get that rush and to look at that guy in front of you, that woman in front of you, that situation and say, what's wrong here? That signal may be telling you, dude, you've had enough meetings. You need to go home and be with your family. It hmm. may be that you have eaten donuts every morning for the last five weeks and you got to start honoring your body. You haven't worked out. You haven't slept in four weeks. So it's really stepping back and not letting that the way I describe it is having an alarm go off in your kitchen and you and your counselor and some rando pastor and some internet guru is trying to tell you how to turn the alarm off and your house is burning down around you. You got to get out in the front yard and look at your whole house and say, what's on fire here, right? Yeah, no, that's great. That's a great analogy. So let's talk about the belief in yourself. I mean, I mean, you're a confident guy. And so, I mean, how do we build that? So if you're listening or you're talking to our listeners right now, they're driving down the road Maybe they're a little lacking in the belief in themselves. How do you how do you help people build that up? Hmm. I think I think the idea of believing in yourself has to be a value proposition. So you've got to start from I have value. And if you don't believe that you have value, you can add all the accolades, all the money. I've worked with too many people behind closed doors to have money, dude, that I can't even wrap my head around. I'll never have their resources. And they hate themselves. Yep. They hate their marriages. They hate everything about, and I've got buddies who work at Napa auto parts and I don't know how they pay their bills and they <laughs> love their life, right? They love everything about it. Yeah. They love the complaining about it. They love the whining. They love grabbing cheap beer. They like watching the fights. They love their buddies. They love their life. And so it has to come back to this initial proposition. Do you think you were, do you think you have value? Are you worth anything just because you are? And if you don't, you can't build anything else on top of that thing. And then belief comes from a series of 
stepping into where you, what you think value, what you think success, what you think accomplishment, accomplishment looks like. And we're in a world where we've outsourced all of those things to other people. And Robert Saplowski, he's a biologist. He's a researcher from Stanford. He's a brilliant guy, but ultimately his works led us to a remarkable place. We are only who we are in relation to other people. Yeah. Right. And we get our social value from where we stand on the ladder and if we let other people tell us where that is in conjunction with the reality of where we actually stand, that's a recipe for disaster. And so recognizing that the world, the economic engine of the world depends on you feeling less than, so you will go buy something so that you will feel more than. And so if you can unplug from that and say, okay, I am the assistant director of the mailroom at a small to medium sized company and I make $17 an hour and I still and worth being loved, and I'm still worth a good night's sleep, then you can build what comes next, what comes next, what comes next. So I think we often try to jump to looking in the mirror and chanting for ourselves, and we're trying to build belief on something that doesn't, right? You can't build a building on no foundation, right? Right. That foundation has to be one of value. Yeah, I love that. So what would you tell yourself right now when you look back at your two decades of doing what you've been doing, advice you would give yourself and thoughts and feelings? Oh, man. Two things. So I worked in nonprofits. I worked in, in colleges and universities and they're nonprofits. And there's this website called GuideStar. And what GuideStar does is it posts the 990 tax returns of every nonprofit in the United States. And so what you can do if you work at a nonprofit, if you work at a university or a church, you can get online and find out what the top five to 15 employees of that organization makes, what their salaries. It puts their name and their salary. And I was working as a, as a senior leader, but I wasn't on the executive level, right? I was running a bunch of, I had a bunch of departments that reported to me, multi millions of dollars of revenue expense accounts, but I wasn't an executive. And I was working 24 seven, 365. I was always on call. I was exhausted and I was making a good salary, but I, I, like any knuckleheaded 29 year old, I thought I should be making, I should be making more. And I got online and I found out what my boss made and it was triple what I made. And I got pissed. This is an injustice. This is bull crap. And it just so happened a few weeks later, he calls me in his office and said, you are uniquely poised to either take my job someday or to go do this job somewhere else. And I'm choosing you to invest in. So I want you to start coming to these executive meetings with me. You're going to sit in the back. I'm going to get you to the board meetings. I want you to sit in the back there. You're not going to say a word, but I'm going to get you in there. And I want you just to listen. And you know what I found out in short order, Brett? My boss earned every penny of that money. Mm. I had no idea. And so lesson number one, I would remind myself or teach myself that those people who earn, quote unquote, those salaries, earn it. It's hard. And asking yourself, what is the cost of making $50,000 more? It usually is a lot of your kids' little league games. It's the ability to sleep on a Saturday. It's, a, it's, an, it's an ability to have a regular workout schedule because you're always on call. And so I would tell myself, do the cost. What's the math versus your soul? What's it worth to you? And then the second thing is, and this is hard for me as a nerd with a bunch of time spent in a classroom, dude, I knew all about grief. I could tell you the six stages of grief. I could tell you all the grief stuff, even the, the latest new stage, finding meaning. I could tell you all about it. I could tell you what you're supposed to say out of a textbook when 
somebody dies, when somebody miscarries, when somebody commits suicide, I could tell you all that stuff. It is totally different when you're sitting in the room holding a mother whose son is dead in the next mm. room and she's squeezing you so hard you can't breathe. That's wisdom. And there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. So I would tell my 28-year-old self, my 25-year-old self, my 35-year-old self, slow down. We just, I, I, I needed to get all this stuff right away, right away. And I can't tell you how many years I, of my life I burned off, pissed off and angry that I wasn't further along whatever imaginary ladder I thought I was supposed to be on and realizing, dude, I, I would have hurt people had I been in those rooms with the academic information and not the insight. And we live in a culture that we are overexposed and underexperienced, right? We've seen 10,000 people die on TV but most of us have never been in a room anymore where somebody's dead or for young people, 18 to 25 year olds, they've seen, you know, 25,000 or a million sex acts on a screen somewhere. And they've never burned half of a movie just trying to hold somebody's hand. Remember that back mm. in the day? Yeah. And there's a weight to that. There's a heartbeat and a fear and an overcoming. There's a, a process that you just skip over. And now we've got an epidemic of 19 year olds who are impotent, right? They, they, they don't know what to do when they're in a real life situation. So I would tell myself to get wisdom, slow down, put your body in these experiences. Don't just watch a bunch of YouTube clips and read a bunch of textbooks and scroll Instagram all day. Actually get out of your house and go sit with people, walk alongside people, have experiences, fail, fall down, get hit in the face. I joined an MMA gym back in my 20s. I just wanted to know what would happen if I got in fights. And I spent right. several years there and it was incredible. But now I'm a lot less likely to run my mouth in a bar because I know what happens. And so <laughs> I learned that lesson is, the hard way. That's right. I learned it. And I also learned I'm way, way tougher than I thought I was. I learned a lot about myself. So I'd put myself in situations of uh, where I can learn experiences. Yeah, that's incredible, man. To think, I, I like that experience versus knowledge or wisdom versus knowledge, right? I, I wrote down the wisdom is the experience. Yeah. And, and I just had a 28 year old this, this morning actually ask how I knew this one thing. And I said, it, it comes with time. Yeah. And I think so many of our younger generation, they just want to, they just want to wake up and be where, you know, you may be at your 40s or your 50s or your 60s, but it's like, you just can't, man. That's part of the process. That's part of the deal is being on the grind. And it doesn't mean working every weekend and working and burning at both ends of the, of the candle, right? It doesn't mean that. But it does mean experience. Sometimes you're just going to have to get kicked in the teeth a bunch of times until you learn it. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I mean, there's no other way. And so what's the magic sauce? Learning to love the training. Yeah. I got to where I was the dean of students at a small faith-based university in Texas. I couldn't wait till the day was over so I could put my take my suit off, put on shorts and my mouthpiece and go fight guys that I didn't know. <laughs> I learned to love the, dude, I'm going to get smoked tonight, man. And I'm going to come <laughs> to a meeting tomorrow with the black eye. And I didn't, I didn't like, no one likes getting kicked in the face. Nobody. Right. I don't care who you, nobody does. But I loved the idea of putting myself in situations where I had to work really hard. I was going to pay for failure. And I also had a group of guys that were going to pick me up when I fell down. And you get smoked in one of those rooms. Everybody's there to help you. They pick you up. They make sure you're okay. They make sure. So it's all of that all together, right? Yeah. Like, what was it Mike Tyson said? Everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. <laughs> Man, right. you have all the ideas in the world. And so, so talk smoked. to a guy that's been in the, in the financial industry for 50 years. And he's looking at the current economic climate. Of course yep. it's going to implode. How yeah. could it not? And, 
of course people are going to have to scrounge and figure out what comes next. And of course people are resilient and suddenly they find parts of themselves they didn't know existed. And of course you're going to have scars, but people are going to end up needing a house again someday and they're going to need to eat again someday. And they're going to want to have joy in their life. So it's just stepping back and that's wisdom, man. Being able to have peace while you're driving down the road. Right. Yeah. Stay the game, stay the course. So you mentioned earlier, you're a group of guys. I think accountability is huge for no matter what we want to do. Talk to us about that. So when you hear me say that word accountability, what's it mean to you? I think if you were to ask the chief demon of our time, number one, no question about it is loneliness, period, end Mm. stop. And loneliness has a physiological consequence. We are dying. They're calling them deaths of despair. The greatest country in the history of earth with all the technology we don't even need money more. We just make it up. We just print. We can make up money. We can invent it and just ship it in your mailbox. For the third year in a row, this is pre-COVID, our average lifespan went down again. And they're not murders. They're not people. It's not arson, like whatever. It's diseases of despair, organ disease failures, suicides, and addictions, right? People are sitting alone. And I grew up, like I said, I grew up in Texas, dude, where they make the cows that they were supposed to make our bootstraps from that we're supposed to pull ourselves. It's not real. It's a myth we bought into, dude. I want it to be real. I want only to count on me and I'm responsible for me. And I could, it's just not how our bodies are designed. We're communal creatures that are designed to be in connection with other people, man. And so you got to have people that you can tell the bad stuff to when you violated your own moral compass. You got to have people you can tell the good stuff to. That's a new one, man. We hedge our bets. We don't tell our friends when great stuff happens, right? We don't do that. And we squash it. You got to have people that you can tell, hey, somebody hurt me. And then you got to have people who love you no matter what. And sometimes love means I'm a belly out of jail. Sometimes I got a group of guys and our saying is, you ever cheat on your wife? You better hope she finds you before we do. That's just the kind of guys I roll with. And I know I'm going to end up in the hospital and they're going to sit with me in the hospital too, right? And yeah, that's right. Be, that, that would be part of the consequence. So it's, it's loving means saying, I love you, not just hype man. It also means I'm going to look you square in the eye and say, you did wrong and you're going to go make this right. And that also means I'm going to walk with you as you go make this right. Yeah, it's, it's so critically important to have that group with you. So you can celebrate your successes and your losses, your victories and your losses, right? I mean, one of my favorite things that happened this year, if you were to say, hey, who's the most stable human in your life? It's my buddy Todd. And he called me earlier this year, the same day I got a note that my book made the bestseller list. And you've seen that book. It's a thin, tiny little thing. We did not have high expectations for it. And it took off out from underneath us, man. And so he calls and says, hey, my bank just got sold. I think this, where he was an executive, I think this means I just lost my job. And it was, my world was rocked. He was the guy that was always going to have a job. And in that same call, I I said, man, it sucks. What are you going to do? How can we help? Is there anything we can do? And, And then I said, hey, I just made the bestseller list. And he's like, for your pamphlet, your little book? And I said, yeah. And then he was able to say, you've been working on this so long. I'm so proud of you. And so in that same call, we got to celebrate each other. I got to mourn and grieve with him. And then we got to say, hey, I'll call you later. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. And we hung up, right? right? So it was, it's both and it's all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you can just manufacture that. I mean, it just has to naturally happen. live next to me in a door. You know what? Hey, I think that's a challenge, Brett, because 
there's an epidemic of 40 and 50 year olds who are no longer in touch with their high school buddies or their college friends. And I think there is a, I think there is a, a I think we do have to start cultivating it. We have to be intentional about it and start I agree with that. at least at the beginning manufacturing. We got to start setting ourselves up for it because it's not just going to happen. And we're looking at our dads and their dads are just sitting in front of the recliner, man, yeah. just scrolling stuff. Yeah. Right? I don't want that. No, I, yeah, I just play golf, man. My friends. best buddy since third grade on Monday, you know? So as I said here, Thursday, I get to spend, you know, seven, eight hours with my best buddy since third grade. And you, you just can't replace that stuff. Nope. And if you do, when I got to Nashville, I, I cut off, I mean, all my buddies, I'd had the same friends since I was born Yeah. and I had to ask some dudes to my house and Brett, I, I, I don't know what's more awkward than this. I can't think of a more awkward moment in my life. And they've been full of awkward moments was asking a couple of grown men and their wives at my kitchen table with my wife. Uh, Hey, we don't know how to do this. So we're just going to be weird, but we'd like to invite you guys to be our friends. And that <laughs> means like one dude, Hey, listen, listen, we said, here's what this means. We're going to invite you to our house. We're going to show up like at your kid's graduation. We're going to be there. If something goes down at 2 AM, I'm calling you first. I'd love you to be at our, in our kids' lives. One of the couples, like they kind of laughed and we we knew several, of, you know, we knew them. They kind of laughed and they're like, man, you made this weird. Listen, one of the other couples, a veteran, he started crying. A tear came out of his eye and he said, no one has ever asked me that question before. Will you be my friend? Can I, will, will you be there and let me count on you and you count on me? And I thought, wow, what an indictment, right? Of our culture. And so it's, I was that intentional, that weird. And now we're, when we hang out, our friends play, it's, it's, it's an awesome experience, man. That's so cool. That's so, yeah, I'm blessed, man. I, you know, I'm an only child, so I don't have that brother, right. Or that sister. Yeah. And, and it's like, I tell my buddies sometimes, I'm like, you guys are my brothers That's because right. Right. They, they feel like family. My cousins are all over the place, but it's like these guys, man, have become a big, big part of my life. And I'm blessed that a lot of them are my neighbors and we have a very active neighborhood, but it's just That's uh, awesome. It's, Good yeah, for you, man. We're very, very lucky, man. So I've got, I call it your comfort zone calluses. And what I mean by that is, is and people that listen to the show, hear me talk about this, but I'm curious on your, your take on this is your comfort zone can start out, you know, 20 decades uh, or 20 decades. That's a long time ago, uh, two <laughs> decades ago, you know, this big, right? Little circle. And then each time you try to break through it, and you keep going back to your comfort zone, you start to build this callus, right? And you don't want to go through it. And then people get in their comfort zone and they don't move. So how have you gotten out of your comfort zone and gone on to that next level to keep expanding it and making it bigger and bigger and bigger? It's a great question. I'd have to go back to this, a, a core parenting principle, which is your kids don't listen to you. They watch you. Mm. And if you want your kids to absorb and learn lessons about how to treat women, how to treat men, how to succeed in school, succeed in life. You do it. You demonstrate it. Tip really well. Be kind to the waiter, right? So that, that's how you help change kids. And so when I look back on my life, the two meta lessons are number one, I don't care how old you are. I don't care what your job is. My dad was a fancy pants SWAT hostage negotiator, the top of the top. My mom was a stay-at-home mom working in the craft room at a local church. And she ended up at Deloitte and Touche and then at Enron and then a professor. He went and was a youth minister and then became. So there was there is never a time when you're too old. There's never a time when you may be not credentialed or not. Go do the next fun thing that you think you want to do. And so 
I, I, I lived that, and but I got to watch my parents do it. It wasn't just them saying, you can do anything. I watched them just go manufacture new lives, and yep. it was incredible. Yeah, I think that would be it, man. I, the comfort zone was just go, go do the thing. It also meant throughout my life I've hurt people because I've been in a job search where I got all the way to the end, and I was offered the job, and then I just backed out. And so I've had to learn how to do that with integrity and I've hurt people along the way, or I've taken a job for a year and just said, Hey, this isn't for me. And because I, you know, I've lived Dave Ramsey's principles. I don't owe anybody any money and I've got an emergency fund and I got a wife who trusts me. We just go do something else. And you can leave a wake of hurt behind people. So there's an integrous way of changing course and deciding I'm going to do things different with my life that involves other people. But I think it comes back to, never being afraid to do the next thing. And Hey, can I say this? You have to uh, set yourself up so that you can make those jumps. Right. Um, I, instead of playing video games, I took another grad class. Not because I'm any greater. I was just interested in those things, man. I, I, I liked reading books. And so why not go ahead and read a book that I'm going to get a course credit for that's going to work towards a credential. That's going to allow me to do five other different jobs one day. Right. Or let me go to have coffee with somebody who's way smarter than me or who's way tougher than me or whatever. Put yourself in situations where people are going to lift you up as opposed to just burn the very little life that we got, man. Well, I think with all that stuff, everything you just said there, don't you think they should call you Dr. Doctor, John? Dude, no. They should, <laughs> no. No. They, Dr. There, was doctor. Two, there was two Dr. Deloney's before me, and it was my mom and my wife, and they're yeah. both way smarter than me. And so, I was just like, yeah, whatever, John, nobody cares. And it's about the time that came along. So no, I'm way more comfortable. And that's the other thing. I, you know, I'm not that smart. You can get to the end of a marathon by sprinting it, or you can walk it. They still give you the same 26 same metal. Point, whatever. Yeah, you get the same. Same metal sets on my wall. It sets on your wall, right? You broke exactly the record. Right. I just kept uh, going to class awesome. Why most of you guys had friends. That's right. Well, it is that, right? I mean, I think I've, I've tried to do that in my career too, is I always say, be a student in the game. So I, I don't, I don't sit around and watch TV and it's for me, it's, it's reading, it's watching YouTube videos to get better. I mean, whatever it is that craft you're trying to get better at that moment, get better at it, right? Choose and, and that over TV. Learn, learn the skills of the craft. Right. So here's like, I've, I've met with financial planners behind closed doors, like as a, as, as they were struggling, trying to fix their marriage or their job, or whatever. And here's what I hear them say. I took another financial counseling. I took another course on Bitcoin. I got another certification in this yeah. and this and this, they never took a class, a counseling class on how to listen. They yeah. never took a class on how to have a strong marriage so that I can go to work and do these hard things. They never took a class on fear so they could help sit with somebody who's terrified because they're 50 and they're just now thinking about retirement. So it's looking at your, it's the same way LeBron James spends plenty of time practicing a shot, but he also does strength training and he also does agility training and he does nutrition. And so he does all the other stuff that makes him good when he gets on the court and does these little things. Does that make sense? Absolutely, man. When it's game time, you got to be ready. And I think I would say as a wealth management advisor, yes, it's important to know about Bitcoin, the stock market and bonds and what's going on and interest rates. Yeah. That's important. But I will tell you, you've got two decades of counseling. I've got two decades of counseling. That's exactly right. right. I started in 2001 and I always joke that there's a, there's a tissue box in here for a reason in my office. Yep, that's exactly right. right. So and how we got to have those discussions. How do you learn how to be a better listener? How do you learn how to, when your client says something that starts to set off something 
that your dad used to say to you, right? And you, suddenly yeah. you find yourself responding. How do you deal with some of those things? And so it's learning not only the skill of your particular trade, but stepping back. And suddenly now I look up and if Dave fired me tomorrow, Dave Ramsey fired me tomorrow, I would hate that. That'd be a bummer, dude. I love this job. I'm having a blast. But what skills have I picked up along the way that would help me in another wild adventure right. or another job, right? So yep. it's it's it helps lay the groundwork for wherever you want to go, man. Yeah. It's funny. You asked about the listening part. I mean, my, my eighth grade uh, history teacher, Mr. Harshbarger said to me, I think he said to the class, but it felt like he was talking straight to me, right? One of those moments. He said, you have two ears, one mouth, use them proportionately. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Right. I love that. Listening twice as much as I talk. And then we talk about that when I was a new advisor of maybe you talk 20% of the time, they talk 80% of the time in the meeting. Yeah. And I got that student of the game. I took that very serious. And I try to do it on this podcast too. I have a podcast to interview great people like you. You don't want to listen to me talk for the whole 30, 45, 55 minutes. Yeah. I want to hear you. Yeah. Well, I learned that in a harsh way because I knew all the things to say. And when you're hugging a mom at 2 a.m. Yeah. There, dude, there's nothing to say. Nothing. You just sit there and presence is everything. The fact that someone can sit there at your office you can't magically say something that's going to put a retirement funds in their accounts, yeah. but they can finally be heard and open up and be vulnerable and let their shame that they've been holding. Cause they haven't, they haven't put a dollar in retirement for 25 years. They yeah. can let that finally out. What a gift yeah. that is to other people, man. So I, I saw, uh, you've got a great uh, Instagram by the way. So our listeners need to go check that out. We'll put it <laughs> in the show notes, but I, I like you said, I still you know, don't know how that works, man. <laughs> you said boxers take the gloves off before they leave the gym. Yeah. And that was the end of, of, of one of the posts. It's one of my favorite posts of yours. And Thanks, it's, it's true, right? I mean, I go home at, at night and, and at the end of the day, I got four kids and there's going to be chaos when you walk in there. And sometimes I deal well with it. And sometimes I don't, Yeah, but we got to take the gloves off, man. So what do you mean by that? So I, I know what you mean, but what are your thoughts? Yeah, it, was, it, it, it was in real time. That wasn't even a metaphor for me. I was training mixed martial arts with some professional fighters. So I would go to the gym. Everybody puts their gloves on. And man, we got after it. Like yeah. we really got after it, man. And then when it was over, everybody took their gloves off and you're laughing, talking about your kids, hugging each other, helping each other with business deals or whatever. And then the next day, my I was researching the mental health of lawyers. And I realized that the thing that makes a lawyer really exceptional at what they do the thing that makes a doctor really exceptional at what they do is that they are able to walk into a room, dive into a situation, weaponize human communication, shut everything out, focus on a singular task. And that's, those are things that annihilate marriages, right? Those are skills that destroy the poor woman at the grocery store counter or the poor guy who's just trying to change your oil, man, and who, who melt your kids. And what I realized is there was a symbolic moment when we literally took our mouthpieces out and our gloves off and we're done hitting each other. And you can't walk out in the street and solve a problem at the supermarket the same way you solve a problem in a fighting gym. But there is no off-ramp for an attorney or for a banker or for a high-level CEO who's used to getting his own way or her own way, barking orders at people, calling people liars, that doesn't work in a marriage. It doesn't work no. as a parent. So you've got to have these markers and you got to have a process that says, I am transitioning from hard charging CEO to loving husband to connected dad. And that's a, that's a hard process. They don't teach us that in school, right? No. 
It don't. I'll tell you one of my MMA stories. Uh, you probably know the name Matt Hughes. Oh, yeah. So I went to college with Matt, and one of my buddies from high school was a wrestler at Eastern Illinois University, uh, where him and his twin brother went. And we were at a bar standing outside Eastern Illinois, just south of University of Illinois, where the, you know, the bigger school, the smart kids go, right? Well, they came down. <laughs> Everybody at Eastern Illinois University knew who Matt Hughes was. Okay. But the guys at University of Illinois did not know. They cut in front of us one night at a bar called Mothers. And let's just say for these four guys, it didn't end well. <laughs> and I watched that, man, from, you know, five, ten feet away. I'm like, oh, crap. If this gets south, you know, they were pretty big dudes. And I'm like, yeah, here yeah. I am. You know, I was a 135 pounds soaking <laughs> wet maybe at that time. And and so it's like I get to watch Matt Hughes in his prime, though, out in the streets. And it was incredible. Just disassemble people. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it, it's – how, it takes a level of humility to be a hard charger, to be a successful yeah. business person, and to be willing to say the things that make me successful here not only don't make me successful over here, but it also will hurt people. Mm. And that's a hard thing. When you're a surgeon and you know how to take yeah. out a human heart and put another one in, that does not make you a parenting expert. That doesn't make you a marriage expert. And there's a level of humility to say, I can do this one thing better than anybody on earth, yep. but I got to learn how to do this. Right. Yep. And I don't know why that's become so hard for us, but we just feel like we got to be right. And we get, we're addicted to being right. We're addicted to being angry and addicted to having power. Man, there's just so much humility at looking at my wife and saying, Hey, what's the best way I could help you right now? Yep. Not Love just that. throwing advice at her, not just burying her in what I think my opinions are. How about we just sit here and I'll just give you a hug and she'll just start crying thinking that's all I need, man. I'm way smarter than you. I don't need your answers. <laughs> exactly. Right? Just give me a hug and be quiet, man. Shut up. Uh, last few questions here. So what, so any morning kind of routines or habit formation things, advice you can give us? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty militant about morning routines. I wake up pretty early. Matthew Walker's book was a watershed for me. That's for folks who are struggling with anxiety, folks who are struggling with depression. There is no mental health issue on earth, no diagnostic on earth that doesn't have sleep issues as a part of it. And Walker was the first guy, he's a, the head of the Berkeley Sleep Clinic. It's why we sleep. It's a masterpiece that really flipped that around on its head. And he's the first guy to suggest that all of those mental health issues have some sort of seed planted in soil, which is you're not sleeping. And so sleep has become almost pathological for me. I will leave events early. I will do what I need to do to go to bed. So our house goes to bed pretty early and um, I get up really early. I, I'm real big on my gratitude journal every single day of my life. I lift weights pretty hard regularly. I do play music regularly in, in various seasons. I've got to play it, meaning listening to it or play it like you've no, strummed I, the guitar. I, yeah, strumming guitars. Yeah. Okay. I've been playing since I was a little kid. But there's something about the, there's just a different part of your brain that plays music that participates in art. Some people journal. I've d had seasons of that. Music right now is, is helpful. Depending on where I'm at seasonally, I'll spend months at a time where every morning I'll sit in my cold tub and it is cold, man. And yep. It's good for my soul. Other times. Which um, one of those do you have? <laughs> dude, I've got the uh, tractor supply special. You want to hear how I did it? I, I, like, I know what you're talking about. 99 bucks, you get a trough, and I have buckets that I fill up with water and I drop them in a deep freezer that cost me 99 bucks and it's in my freezer in my garage. And in the mornings, I take them and I drop them in there. And then I go lift, I do my morning routine, I do my meditation, my prayer time. And then I go out and it is 
it is colder than cold. It's full of ice and it is free. And that's just my, <laughs> I'm a cheapo dude. So that's my biohack. No, one day I'll it. get a, I'll get a sponsorship with one of those $5,000 tubs, but not yet. I just had one of those cold plunge on my, uh, plunge is the name of the company on my podcast. It's, oh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Man. Check I, it would, out. I would love one of those, man. Someday. Yeah. And then my family lives out on six or seven acres and we, I do a lots of walking outside barefoot, being in nature, making sure I'm gardening, getting my hands dirty. There's, it sounds kind of woo woo. I'm, I've been convicted by the science of earthing, reconnecting uh, with the ground is a big deal for me. So here's my thing whatever your morning routine is it's about intentionality my wife has a very different morning routine and she's uber healthy too it's about being intentional it's not waking up and just scrolling through a day because that happens every every once in a while man and suddenly you can burn an hour on instagram without even blinking right yeah it's insane Um, so it's just about being intentional whatever that looks like for you talk about that earth thing for a second man i i I believe that too my wife believes that i've watched the documentary on it it's it's amazing but give us your your you know 30 second answer on that one i mean if you break the human body down as far as it will go we're just energy transference and at some point there's a larger plug that you got to plug yourself into and the earth is energy transference too and there is something about being local And I think this is, I mean, I can get existential pretty quick about politics and marriages and community and what you can actually achieve versus not achieve, what kind of impact you can make. But there's something about standing where you are standing. There's something therapeutic about putting your hands in soil. There's something healing. Even the body's inflammation is ultimately electronic at the end of the day. And if you are in a non-inflamed state, your body can't have all these quote unquote diseases of despair down the road. And so there's something about presence. There's something about breath. And it's just, at the end of the day, it's about slowing down. But now I'm uncomfortable in shoes, which is a weird thing to say as a guy that goes into the (laughs) office every day. But um, even my dad was in town and my kids were running around in the field. And he said, man, those kids are awesome. They don't even wear shoes. And I told him, I said, dad, they're not allowed to wear shoes. He just shook his head because he thinks I'm a weirdo. But uh, (laughs) it's, it's remarkable, man. It's pretty, pretty, pretty incredible. I love it. I love it, man. Well, any other words of wisdom you want to share and uh, anything? I, actually, let me, before I go there, if I take your cell phone from you and I, I delete one app, can't be photography or, or emails because those are pretty important, but what's the one thing maybe on your phone here that you don't want me to delete? <laughs> You're going to crack up. I don't think I have any apps. I think that's the, oh. I have a work, I have a work phone that actually has Instagram on it and I have it on a separate phone so that I won't mess with it all day long. Um, Cause I don't, I, I know that they know more about my head than I do. They know more about my chemistry and physiology than I do. Yeah. And they're smarter than me and they are better funded than me. So I, I, it's a work tool that I leave over here. Gosh, I guess that's my your, weather is that app, your personal one right there. This is my personal phone. I, yeah. I, rather my weather app. I've got my, Zero fasting app in my days, like where I can just count. So I think how the, many days. the point of this is, is you're not you're not addicted to the phone, right? I mean, I you're mean, not. It's not. It's not making you somebody that you don't want to be. No, and and when I do have my work phone, there's seasons when it gets heavier, and I get. I think Instagram's fun, and it feels yeah. good when you post something that's funny and everyone's laughing at it. I'll leave it at work. I'll just I won't have it in my possession, or I'll turn it off and leave it at home when I go to the office. Um, that's just it comes back to intentionality. Oh, incredible. But hey, here's the thing. Listen, I didn't have, when I took this job, I didn't have any social media, none. I didn't have it at all. Okay. I've been 
yelling about how crazy and not good for you it is for years. And then I got it. And within six months, dude, I'm sitting there and my kids are running around. And I'm just scrolling right through it. And I remember this moment where I thought, oh, these guys are good, right? It's like like doing coke and be like, hey guys, I'm I won't I won't get addicted. It's cool, man. Like, <laughs> exactly, dude. Eventually, man, it's gonna get you, right? And so I just I know enough to know I. It's the same reason I don't have bags of gummy candies at my house because I wouldn't yeah. mainline them, right? Yeah. So I'm not gonna yeah. have them in my house, man. I love it. I love it, man. Well, hey, doctor, 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 John Deloney. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for man. being with us, man. It's been awesome having you. I'm gonna look you up when I come to Nashville next time. Dude, I'd love it, and uh, I'll take you to lunch. That'd be a blast, man. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the Circuit of Success, and thanks to our listeners and our viewers for showing up every single week. We always want to give you the best tips and tools to help you along your journey, man. So Dr. John Deloney uh, was one of those people to help us today. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Brother Brett. Appreciate you, man. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.